people look at their phones while they're driving and that causes you to veer away. Maybe some of you nod off, you get tired, you get sleepy. I know I am thankful for the rumble strips. I'm thankful for them. It's funny, I probably shouldn't say this, Laura might get mad at me, but I hit rumble strips kind of a lot. I don't know why. We drive a lot and I hit them a lot. And she always looks at me, you okay? Yeah, I'm okay. I just got a little off track, hit the rumble strip, glad it's there. Uh, but that what you do when you hit those things, you get back in line, right? You hit that, that stop, that sleeper line, it keeps you, it wakes you, jar, jars you, wakes you back, gets you back where you need to be. Well, that's what God's prophets were about. They were the rumble strips. They were the sleeper lines. They were the ones that when God's people started to nod off, when God's people started to go the wrong direction, God sent them prophets to wake them up and say, come back. And that's what we're going to see in Ezra and Nehemiah today. We're going to see God's prophets come to the people, shake the people, say, get back to work. Because spiritually speaking, this isn't just about driving. This isn't about restoring old houses. This is about our hearts. This is about our souls. This is about our lives before God. And spiritually speaking, we know that we all sin and we all need to be restored at some point. Maybe it's something just sort of popped up, some, some incident, some circumstance in life that you certainly weren't expecting. It just popped up. And what you need to do is you need to go to your brother or you need to go to the Lord and you need to, to ask for forgiveness and get that taken care of. But maybe there was some life-altering event and it's caused you to really be in a, a dark place. It's caused you to really question what's going on well again to you too come home maybe there's some sin that you feel is just so big and it's so embarrassing i'm telling you it's nothing that god hasn't already seen stop holding on to it be restored maybe you've just been out of the game so to speak not necessarily living in, in heinous sin not doing things that caused others to put their hands over their mouth nothing crazy but you've just been coasting. You've just been sort of, maybe you've passed over that rumble strip and you've just sort of just stayed over there. You need to be restored to active work too. So you see, this, this applies to so many, to all of us. Israel, looking to Ezra 5, Israel had to be encouraged to return to the work of the temple. Remember, we started in Ezra 1.1. Here's people who've been slaves for seven decades. They finally get to go home and they've been told by the king, the conquering king, here's a lot of money, here's a lot of material. Go back, get to work, build your, your temple. Build God's temple there in Jerusalem. And so they go home and they're excited. They get to the work. But as we get here to Ezra 5, you know what's happened? It's been some 10 to 15 years since they've been building. So there they go. They lay the foundation. They get the temple started. And then they quit. They quit building. What they do is they get to their own houses. They start building lavish, beautiful homes for themselves. And they're over there on the, on the hill. It's not like it's hard to see. They're in Jerusalem. The temple's, temple mount. It's a mountain in the middle of the town. You can see it from afar. And while they're building up their houses, they just kind of walk by the temple mount like this. We don't see that. We don't see that the temple's not being built over there. And so God has to send prophets to say, get back to work. God had his prophets call them back. The temple needed to be restored. They had to come back to God and resume their work. And so in like fashion, what we do when we gather here today and then when we leave this place and go to our, our schools and our jobs and we go back to, to life, as it were, we come together to learn and think and to praise God and then we go out into the world to be God's people. And what we are doing 
is we are calling on the world, just like God's prophets would go to Israel and say, get back to work. We're calling on one another and on the world to get back to the things of God. We call it the restoration plea. All this means is this is a call to any and all who have veered off course, those who are walking in the wrong direction, or those who have just stopped walking altogether to come back, to be restored. We have to continually be looking at ourselves. 2 Corinthians 13, 5, examine yourself. This is not a message where we say, we're perfect and all the rest of the world needs to be restored. This is a message where we say, all of us recognize this. We all need to examine ourselves and see if we are walking in the paths of God. We have to seek the old paths, as it were. Jeremiah 6, let's read Jeremiah 6 before to Ezra 5. Jeremiah 6 at verse 16. Jeremiah 6, 16. Thus says the Lord, Stand by the roads. In other words, Jeremiah, go to the very place where the people are. Go to the very place that gets a lot of traffic. And so he says, stand by the road and look. And as those people pass you by, as they're going this way and that way, going home, going to work, ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and find rest for your souls. In other words, you say this, you're calling people Let's go back to the ancient path. Let's go back to the way that God called us to be. Let's go back to being who God wants us to be. And he said, now I'm going to go ahead and warn you, you're going to meet resistance. Because when you call people to the ancient paths, when you call people to go back to the way God called us to be, they said, we won't walk in that path. We won't walk in that. And so he says, that's still your call, Jeremiah. You're still to call people back. You're still to call them to restoration. And that's what we do. So what can we learn from the book of Ezra about these things? Let's start with this. Let's start by talking about a message of support. So here's the situation. The work ceased. Look at, look at Ezra 4.23. Ezra 4.23. Towards the end of that verse there in Ezra 4.23, it says that these certain people went in haste to the Jews at Jerusalem, and by force and by power, they made them cease, made them quit working on the temple. Verse 24 says, Then the work of the house of God that's in Jerusalem stopped. And it ceased until the second year of the reign of Darius, king of Persia. So the work stopped. They've just quit. They've gone about doing other things. After so much excitement, so much preparation, they allowed the world, and they allowed all the noise, and they allowed this earthly king to make them stop building. Now, taking a break from work is one thing. We've already established that. Taking a break is good. It's right. You need to. That's why we have... The weekend. Now, some of you say, what is that? I worked so much, I don't have a weekend. And I, I hear you. But you know why that was established in the way that it was? It's so that we could rest. Because humans, we've been made by God to need to rest. And God said specifically from the very, very beginning, when He gave people the Sabbath, stop doing all the other stuff. Stop being worried about your lawn and stop being worried about your job and stop being worried about school and rest and focus on me. In fact, it was such a big deal in the Ten Commandments. He said, if you don't do this, you'll be executed. Whoa. God takes this time off and worship and wrestling pretty seriously. That, that, the principle of keeping a Saturday holy, that's changed. But the idea of rest hasn't. The idea of, of taking things in a way where we stop everything else and focus on God that's still something he wants us to do. But here, what they've done is something different. They haven't just taken a break to rest. They haven't taken a break to worship. They've just flat out taking a break from doing God's work. And so they need encouragement. 
So look at Ezra 5, verse 1. Now the prophets Haggai and Zechariah, the son of Iddo. So Haggai and Zechariah prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of God of Israel who was over them. And so it doesn't tell us what they did, but notice we're going to see in verse 2, by implication, it's going to tell us what they did. Because the work stopped, and the guys who are in charge, they do this now, verse 2. So then Zerubbabel, one of the leaders, the son of Shealtiel, and Yeshua, the son of Josadak, the other leader, they arose and began to rebuild the house of God that's in Jerusalem. And the prophets of God were with them, supporting them. So that's what they did. They said, things stopped. God says, hey, Haggai, go stir them up. Hey, Zechariah, go stir them up. Go get them to wake up, get up, and get back to work. But I want you to notice the way they did this. It's sort of strange. It's not a, a normal way. Because normally I think of it says they were supporting them. I would think, well, they, so they went in and they said, hey, guys, you can do it. Or maybe they were there and they said, you know, hey, here's a, a shoulder to cry on. Things are hard. That's not what these two prophets did. One prophet goes in and says, you need to repent. Another prophet comes in and says, you need to quit buying stuff for yourself and give things to God. That was their support. They came in and really did shake them up. Look with me in Haggai 1. Go over to Haggai quickly. If you get to Matthew, you've gone too far. Haggai chapter 1. In these first 11 verses, Haggai 1 through 11, we're going to see that the main message is this. Stop being self-centered. Glorify God. Can you just imagine? Here are these people living life, going about things day to day, and here comes this man and says, stop being so self-centered and give what you have to God and glorify Him with it. Now here's, here's what they said. Look at verse 2. I got verse, chapter 1, verse 2. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the people say, the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. You know, I know we need to rebuild the temple, but today's just not a good day. It's pretty inconvenient for me to stop what I'm doing and go rebuild the temple. This isn't a good time. God's message, yes it is. Today's the day, get back to work. In fact, he goes on in verses 4 through 6. I'll just paraphrase for you. Haggai 1, 4 through 6. You are so blessed. You've got so much. Stop being selfish and glorify God with what you have. In other words, he says, look, invest in the things that matter. They were focused on physical things, material things, and so focused on those material things, it was to the exclusion of spiritual things. And so he says, stop being so self-centered. Stop being so temporarily minded and look at God, glorify God, and think about forever. Build his temple where he can be glorified. Then there's Zechariah, the next prophet. Probably just one page turn if you've got a paper Bible there in your hand. And Zechariah, his main message is just this. Come home and repent. Return to God and repent. That's his message in a nutshell. He says in Zechariah 1, Look at verse 3. Return to me, says the Lord of hosts, and I'll return to you. Don't be like your fathers to whom the former prophets cried out. In other words, former prophets came to your forefathers and they begged and they begged and they got ignored. Don't make the same mistake. When a prophet speaks, listen and respond. Because to cease working was sinful. To cease working was evil. And so God called the people back to work. And so just thinking about that, just based upon 
Ezra chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, that Haggai and Zechariah march into town and they tell the people to get back to work. They support the leaders and the leaders get, do get back to work. Here's my question for all of us. Does any of this apply to us? Does any of this apply? Yes, it does. You say, well, I'm not been called to build a physical structure where I can worship God? No, but you've been called to give a life that worships God and glorifies Him. You've been called to use the time you've had, the talents you have to give to God and multiply God's kingdom, expand the king, borders of His kingdom, to bear fruit. You've been called to do all those things. And so if you've been bypassing that, focused on selfish things, material things, temporary things, God says, wake up and get back to my work. That's the support that the prophets gave. Then there's this. In Ezra 5, we recognize that people are watching. People are watching. Now, you have all these people. The image I have in my mind is you got all different kinds of people that are sort of on the outside looking in. Some are just curious. Who are these people that have been gone for seven decades? Now they show back up and they're so excited. Who are these people? I'm curious about you. There's others that are watching them and they think, uh, you know, I'd like to have what you have. There's others that are watching them and they say, I hate what you have. I'm jealous of what you have. I'm disgusted by who you are and what you're doing. And so they want the work to stop. And it seems to be the case here in Ezra 5 that these people are of that latter category. They don't want the work of God to keep going on. They want to do whatever they can to stop it. But look at what it says in Ezra chapter 5, verse 8. Let's read it together, Ezra 5, 8. Because this is part of the message from the people that are local back to the king, the man who's in charge. He says, be it known to the king that we went to the province of Judah, to the house of the great God. It's being built with huge stones and timber is laid in the walls. The work goes on diligently and prospers in their hands. In other words, they report to the king about Israel. They're prospering. They're growing. They're doing great. They're working quickly. This is kind of an impressive outfit they got going on there. Well, today it's no different. They were being watched and they were being reported on. Today it's no different. The world's watching us. They want to pounce if we're hypocritical. They want to pounce if we're hypocrites. So we need to be honest about our sins and consistent in our lives, have the life match the message. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verse 5, that we're to remove the beam from our eyes so we can help the world with the speck in theirs. The world needs to see people who can admit that they're wrong. The world needs to see people who will get back to seeking God's face after they've failed Him because they want to pounce if we're hypocrites. They want to pounce if we're unkind or unloving. So may it be the case that we're always slow to anger, James 1, 19. May it be the case we're always quick to forgive, Ephesians 4, 32. Because the world needs to see people who love the Lord and love each other, John 13, 35. The world needs to see the pure and the simple worship of the New Testament that leads to pure and simple lives of devotion. The world needs to hear the pure gospel and the world needs to see changed lives. And so they should see, they should check in on us like they checked in on Israel. And when the world looks at us, they should look at us and say, whoa, they prosper. Not that we have lots of money, not that we've got the biggest building, not that we've got all the trappings that go along with being rich in the 21st century, not saying any of those things. They should say, those people know the Lord, love each other, and they are rich. They are prospering. They are growing. It says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, that we're not to lay up treasures for ourselves on earth, 
where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. But we're to lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and thieves don't break in and steal. So what would be said of us? Because outsiders are watching, they're, they're looking and they're reporting. What would be said? Would they say, those people are rich, they're, they're prospering. Well, likely it's the case that we need to be about the work of restoration. Because likely the report would be not as flowing as we'd want it to be. They looked at Israel and they said, wow, they prosper. And they went on and said, and we hate it. <laughs> but they couldn't deny the fact that they were growing in blessings of the Lord. May it be the same of us. And so that brings us to the last thing. There needs to be a proper response of God's people when they're questioned. Remember, that's one of the things that happens here. In Ezra 5, the, the passage that was read and that we'll look at in greater detail here in just a moment. Israel was questioned by the outsiders. They had a series of things they wanted to know about what was going on. Look at these lines with me. Ezra chapter 5. Let's start at verse 9. Ezra 5, 9. We asked the elders and we spoke to them thus, Who gave you a decree to build this house and finish this structure? We also asked them their names. For your information, King, we asked them their names so that we might write down the names of their leaders. This was their reply to us. We're the servants of the God of heaven and earth, and we're rebuilding the house that was built many years ago, which a great king of Israel built and finished. But because our fathers had angered the God of heaven, and gave, uh, he gave them into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, the Chaldean. You know, the one who destroyed this house and carried away the people to Babylonia. However, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Babylon, Cyrus the king made a decree that this house of God should be rebuilt. The gold and silver vessels of the house of God, which Nebuchadnezzar had taken away, it says that Cyrus the king took those out of the temple of Babylon and they're delivered to the one whose name was Sheshbazzar, whom we made governor in verse 15. And so he said to them, take these vessels, go and put them in the temple that's in Jerusalem. Let the house of God be rebuilt on its site. So then this Sheshbazzar came and laid the foundations of the house of God that's in Jerusalem. And from that time until now, it's been building and it's not yet finished. So notice with me, I want to go through these questions that, that have been asked by Israel and that are asked of us all the time. Who are we? Because you need to be able to answer this question. Because you might not be asked by a person with a microphone. You not, might not be asked with a person with a pen and paper. But when outsiders, when the person at the cubicle next to you, when the person at the desk across from you, when the person at the office above you, when they see you and they interact with you, they're asking you all these questions. They're asking you, who are you? Who do you belong to? Who is your king? You're being asked that every day. Who are you? Their response is so perfect. Who are we? We're the servants of the God of heaven on earth. That's Ezra 5.11. Who am I? I'm, I'm the servant of the God who made everything. Who am I? I'm the servant of the God who rules everything. Philippians 1.1, 1, 1. how did Paul describe himself? I am the servant of Christ Jesus. Titus 1.1, 1, 1. how did Paul describe himself? I am the servant of God. So if he was asked, Paul, who are you? I'm God's servant. Our identity is in Jesus alone. Your identity is not found in where you're from, where you're born, what your job is. Those things are part of you and they're important, but they're not, that's not your identity. Your identity is, is about being a part 
of Christ's body. The Bible says in Galatians 3.26, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God, through faith, for as many of you as have been baptized into Christ, you have put on Christ. You are now clothed in Christ. Your identity is now all about being in Christ. So how would you respond to this? If someone asks you, who are you? Who do you belong to? I hope that every last one of us would say, well, since I've been bought by the blood of Jesus, since I've been immersed, I was just like that crowd in Acts 2 who said, what do we do? And they were told in Acts 2, 38, repent and be immersed and you'll be forgiven and given the gift of the Holy Ghost. Might well have said, repent and be immersed and you will now identify as one who lives in and is covered by Christ. Who are you? I'm the servant of Jesus. Well, what are you doing? That's the next question. They said, what are you guys doing here? Well, Ezra 5.11, they answer, we're rebuilding the house that was built many years ago, which a great king of Israel had built and finished. We're rebuilding God's temple. That's what we're doing. And that's what we do. Not with hammers and nails, not with all the normal trappings of what it is to build a beautiful building, but we are absolutely tasked with building the house of God. Jesus, who's the king of kings, 1 Timothy 6.15, built the house originally. Remember it says in Ezra 5.11, we're rebuilding the house that the greatest king ever built. This great king built the house and finished it, and so we're rebuilding it. Well, that same idea applies to Jesus. This great king built a house. Matthew 16.18, on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And so now this great king, Jesus, he demands that we continue to restore it. He demands we continue to keep it working as he would desire. I mean, 1 Corinthians 3, 10 to 15, several other places talk about this, that we take this foundation that was built by others and we keep building upon it. Jesus demands that we restore and keep and love and grow his church. But then there's this last question. Who authorized this? Who authorized? Look at Ezra 5, 9. We ask them, who gave you the decree to build this house? God did. God did. They don't work if he doesn't call. Because you know, if he hadn't called them, if he hadn't given them this message, they'd still be slaves back in Babylon. And so you and I must reply the same way. We do what we've been authorized to do. Who authorizes us to do anything? It's God. Colossians 3.17, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. How are we saved? We seek New Testament authorization. How are we saved? We seek a message from the New Testament. We seek a message from Christ. We've already mentioned Acts 2.38. So many other things could be said. How are we saved? We go to the message of Christ. How, what about how do we worship? Well, again, we seek New Testament authorization. Be it Ephesians 5.19, Colossians 3.16, whatever it might be. We seek New Testament authorization for how we worship. Who authorized this? Jesus in Scripture is our answer. What about this? How do we organize? How do we establish a hierarchy and leadership and these kinds of things? Well, again, we seek New Testament authorization. Who authorized you to have elders? Who authorized you to have deacons? Well, the Lord did here in Titus chapter 1, verses 5 through 9. Who authorized this work? Every single thing. Who are you? I'm Christ's servant. What are you doing? I'm building his house. How do you know what to do? Who authorized this work? He did in his Bible, his book, his word. Because here's what you need to know. Go to Ezra 6. It's dangerous to do any other thing. It's dangerous to look at it in any other way. 
Ezra 6, verse 11. Look at what happened to the people who refused. Ezra 6, 11. I make a decree that if anyone alters this edict, if anyone changes the plan that's been given, a beam shall be pulled out of his house. I want you to go through this imagery with me real quick. Take a, a cross beam from somewhere, just some powerful stout beam is taken off the house and then driven into the ground. And the top part's sharpened. And then the person is taken. That's a violent image. He says, those who refuse this edict, a beam shall be pulled out of his house. He shall be impaled on it and his house shall be made a dunghill. May the God who has caused his name to dwell there overthrow any king or people who shall put out a hand to alter this or destroy the house that God is, uh, that's in Jerusalem. I, Darius, make a decree, let it be done with diligence. We don't need to live in fear, but we need to take this seriously. We need to find that balance between being scared to act and being completely rebellious against the things God has called us to do. We will humbly and lovingly seek authorization and live for Him. We have nothing to fear. We can live with confidence and assurance and joy and love and everything's beautiful, but we ignore Him and He gives us this very ugly imagery of what the future holds for those who are rebellious. So some New Testament principles very quickly as we, as we draw this to a close. Because if we say we're seeking to restore the things that God has authorized, we're seeking to restore the things that God has said do. You look at Acts 2.42 and we see that the, the people there were devoted to the apostles' teaching. That's what we're to be devoted to, the apostles' teaching. You see in Romans chapter 6, 17 and 18 that we're to be obedient from the heart to a standard of teaching, a form of doctrine that God has given us. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13, Paul says to follow the pattern of sound words that you've heard from me in the faith and love that's in Christ Jesus. In other words, he says you must seek authorization from God. You must have God's word, God's plan, or don't do it. Whether it's the moral way you live your life, the spiritual way you worship God, the way you seek to come before God and be saved, all of those things, you seek a message from God. Without his authorization, you don't do it. It's easy to say and it's harder to do, but it's what we seek. And it's what God demands of us. He demands that we restore the work he's given us to do. So what's our response when we're questioned by the world? Are we ashamed to be different? Do we think, boy, it's sure easier just to go along. Are we ashamed to be different than others? Are we ashamed to worship differently? Are we ashamed to make claims about salvation differently? We shouldn't. That was one of the things that Israel was called back to. You're starting to look just like the whole world. It's hard to tell the difference between you and any other person. But prophets came and said, stop, come back to the pure message of God's word. Be restored to what he wants you to do. Are we ashamed to be different or are we eager to be seen and known as those who are doing the very, very best they can, frail, frail and sinful and weak as we might be? Shouldn't we want to be known as those who are doing their very best to restore the church of Jesus Christ? Let's be about this work. Let's answer, the, answer these questions with sincerity, but let's answer them the way that glorifies God. If someone were to say to you, if the Lord were to say to you, who are you? Could you say, Lord, I'm yours? If not, do we encourage you to come and make things right while we stand and sing?